0: All right. All right. We want to say greetings to everyone and thank you all so much for joining us today. My name is Brother Hawk Bolton, and as usual, I was so grateful to the Lord to be able to come before you and share with you the things that the Lord had laid on our hearts to share this morning. So we're going to continue to talk about um, what we started off talking about, concerning God will not share glory. I think it's very important for people to stand that. Uh, if they're going to do anything uh, for the Lord, uh, it's important that that uh, we understand that, that God will not share his glory. So uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to uh, read over a few things here. I think it's the first chapter of First Corinthians. Start reading at verse 18. All right. So we're talking about God will not share glory. He will not. He will not, and I pray that you get that, that he will not share glory. I understand that there may be some people that have an issue with that, uh, but the Bible makes it clear, and we're going to point this out here this morning especially. So they start reading at verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And so that's that's Paul talking there. That, you know, to a lot of people, our way of life, in other words, uh, the way we view things is foolishness to them. But to us, we can recognize the strength in it. We can recognize the power in it. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. You see that? The wisdom of the wise, what is that talking about? That's talking about, uh, people who already know everything. Now, we have had issues with people who have wanted to become a part of this ministry. Uh, they want to come here already knowing everything. Uh, they want to come here um, knowing more than I know concerning God's word. And, of course, in that, that in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. But when it goes against the word of God, when you know more than God knows himself, when you know more than the word of God, you know, then then there's a problem. The Bible tells the woman to submit to her own husband as unto the Lord. And when you say but, this or that, or when you start trying to add things to it, that's you saying saying that I know more than God knows. And, of course, that's not true. But you know better than God knows. And, of course, that's not true either. And so that is what happens here. You see that? It says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. What does it mean? When you try things your way, when you do things your way, God basically is saying that I will make sure that it does not work. I will make sure that it what your way does not prosper you at all. You see that? I will make sure that that's what God is saying. I will destroy, you see, the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. so look at what is happening in this nation where we have put God out of our schools. A lot of the very prestigious universities like Yale and Harvard, they started off as Christian schools. And, of course, you know where they are now, you know, but they're not Christian. I'll put it that way. But that's what happens when you move God out of the lives of people and when and out of society. Then that society, they come up with all this the turmoil. That's where this turmoil comes from, uh, the hurt economy, uh the, the crime rate, all of those things are a result of God being moved out. Now here's the thing. When you move God out of something, you're automatically inviting the devil in by default. Now that's what you have to know. You see that? And so when we don't give God glory, when we think it's because we're smart, when we think it's because of our education that we're getting somewhere, uh that's where that's where we come uh the issue comes. I think about I, I, I like watching documentaries as I've stated before, and I was watching a documentary not too long ago called The West, and I I, I noticed that when the Europeans and the the Spanish came over, they found some people here. Uh, they called them Indians, but they were really just native, you know, native Americans, I guess you could say. And the way that they lived, that it was very peaceful for the most part before the Europeans got here. You know, of course they had little tribal wars among themselves. But just their idea of living, well, they had communities. They didn't have divided properties as far as, you know, having next-door neighbors and stuff like that. They just all pretty much lived on a big piece of land. They had the teepees or tents set up in different places, and basically they were community-oriented. You know, when one ate, they all ate and all of that. And then the Europeans came and the the Spanish, Spanish people came, and they basically didn't like their way of life because of what they were used to. And so they came trying to, uh, I guess, what they call educate them and try to civilize them, although in their minds, the, the natives' minds, they were already civilized. That's what it worked for them. And But I noticed that as the documentary went on and they started pushing the natives into these different uh, uh, areas and, and basically the ones that refused to adopt their way of life started putting them on reservations and all of that, that, the the their way of life and i i mean the the Europeans and especially the europeans uh it it began to cost them in other words, food began to run out uh land stopped producing uh produce you know plants and things like that and and fruit and vegetables it's like the their way of life the Native Americans' way of life was more simple, and they didn't believe with in fooling with nature that much as far as trying to alter things. You know, because they felt like God would replenish uh, things that needed to be replenished, and they didn't want to disturb the natural way of things. And so when the Europeans came, of course, you know, you know, they tearing just tearing down forests and disturbing nature and building these high-rises and all of that. And eventually, you could just see how things just progressed uh Roam from there, just progressed in a bad way. Even until this day, you can you can see that. And and so what happens is when people come in that think they're smarter than God and think that they're because if you think about it, that's the way the Israelites lived, the Hebrews. That's the way they lived. They were a tribal type of people where they they you know they didn't divide like what we like what it's now you know and all of that is. And so what happens is when people try to get outside of the Word of God, basically. God confounds them in their own ways. They destroy the very things that God intends to to build up, and because of that, they pay the consequences for it, which is why we have the economy that we have now, which is why we have all the turmoil that we have now, you know. And and, and it's crazy because uh, back then they called the Native Americans savages, whereas the Native Americans, they felt like, no, the Europeans are savages because of their fruit, what they're doing, you know tear down nature and what the way God built it. And so you see that in, in, in people spiritually as well. Uh, they, they go to college, they get an education in theology, and then they come into church and they, you know, uh, they study on their own or whatever. And some spirit have revealed all of these wrong doctrines to them. And then they come into the church and they uh, basically go against the word of God and do things against the word of God. Just back to this example with the the women, the Bible makes it clear that she's to submit to her husband. There's no such thing as a peaceful home when a woman is not submitted to her husband. There's no such thing as a godly home when, number one, a woman is not submitted to her husband or the husband is not surrendered to God. In other words, the husband is doing his best to appease the wife instead of the wife. And the Bible makes it clear in the same book here that the wife was made for the husband or the woman was made for the man, not the man for the husband. And that means that he's the one that that's the head of the home. And when you have it in reverse, when, when you got the man trying to keep peace with his wife and he's living on the edge of the housetop, on, in the corner of the housetop, roof of the housetop, like the Bible says, then there's going to be turmoil. At what point will this woman come to herself and say, you know what? Do what the Word of God tells me. You see, she's automatically not following the Lord if she's in that state. And so it's up to the man to follow the Lord and put his foot down. The Bible tells us in this same book here, let the husband, uh, let those who have wives be as though they have none. In other words, you live for Jesus Christ and let the chips fall where they've made. And a lot of people don't do that. And and women are banking on the love of that husband for them more than them the husband loving God, and that's where everything gets turned upside down. It started in the garden, and it's still that way today. And so the Bible says that a foolish woman would tear down her house. You see that? A, a foolish woman would do that. How does she do it? By getting out of order and the man letting her get out of order. Now, of course, my rule is, and that's, that's just me because I follow the Lord, I'm going to follow God. And if uh, my wife has a problem with that, then we got a problem but I'm not going to stop following God to please her. If she needs to line up with God and, and, and lining up with God, she line up with me. But I'll if I get the only way I could please my wife if she's out of the will of God is by me myself getting out of the will of God. You see that? Now, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Both of us don't need to go to hell. And so where is the gauge there? In other words, how does the wife know where to come back to if the husband isn't where he's supposed to be? You you men, y'all need to be men. You know, you know. You, I understand that, hey, I'm married. I know what it is to love my wife, and, and the Bible makes it clear that we ought to love our wives. But you know what? Not, not from a perverted standpoint. Any love outside of God is perverted. Any love outside of God is perverted. It's selfish. You see that? And so... We have to be men, and, and that means following God at all costs. Now, it, it, you need to make up your mind, man. You're gonna either follow God and and let your wife go, you know, wherever it is that she's threatening to go, uh, or and 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 follow God with your whole heart. And that, at least when she when she come to her senses, or if she comes, she'll know where to go. Show up at. She'll know how to follow you, or even you need to just say, you know what? I love my wife more than I love God. Let me quit playing church and just go on out and be in, in the world. Now That's what you might as well say. You see that? Because you, you're not going to fool God with it. You're going to either follow God or you're going to follow your wife. And I'm, I'm, Now, this is a warning to you. You see that? You, you follow God and let the chips fall where they may because it's not worth your soul. You're not going to heaven following your wife. That's what the Bible calls effeminate. You see that? That's what effeminism is. When when you're the woman of the house, you're the one that's walking around, you know, afraid of her authority. You see that? Let her throw her a temper tantrum. Let her throw her fit. She'll she'll get past it. But how do you think it makes God feel? You see, the fact that you're bowing down to that. It's not God's will. You You be a man, you see that, because until then... You're not worthy of God. You're not worthy of heaven. And my friends, is that death don't catch it before you get right with God. You get right with God and get in line with him and let the chips fall where they may. You know, it, it, she might not like it at first, but I'm telling you, I, me personally, I can only speak for me. My soul is more important than my relationship with my wife. You see, my soul is more important than that. And and not only that, if I, if I follow her, if I follow my wife, then I'm out of line all around. Number one, she won't respect me for following her. I don't even if it's her will that I do that. Ultimately, she won't respect me. You see that, and so I'd rather have I'd rather have praise of God than than you see following my wife's emotions that you know might be all over the place at any given moment. You see that, and so it's up to you men to balance your wife. You see now, I don't know why we got off on that, but I'm, this is a warning. You see. It's up to you as the husband to balance that wife. And I don't believe – one of the worst things you can do as a husband is to try to cover your wife's faults when she needs to be prayed for. One of the worst things you can do is to try to hide those things because you can't hide them, not not from these eyes and not from God's either, you see. So that's one of the worst things you can do. If if your wife needs prayer, then you need to tell her you need prayer. You need to come out of that junk that you're in. You need to have your mind renewed instead of going along with foolishness. That's foolishness. My prayer is that you catch it. You see that? Now, my prayer is God don't talk for nothing. My prayer is that you catch it. You're not going to heaven bowing down to your wife. That's, it's impossible. You see that? The Bible makes it clear that the effeminate man won't inherit the kingdom of God. It's impossible. You see? So you you, you really, if you you don't follow Christ, you need to follow him with your whole heart because that's really the only way you can follow him to begin with. All right. So let's get back to to verse 20. It says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So that's the wisdom of this world. Uh, Let's follow. Let's make sure our wives are pleased. And, And that's where society is now, this whole society. It judges a man on how how good a man is by how he caters to his wife. Not knowing that the Bible makes it clear that the, that the wife was made for the husband. The woman was made for the man, not vice versa. Not saying that a man shouldn't treat his wife right. I believe in men. If you love your wife, you're going to treat her right. But listen, you're not treating her right by following her. You treat her right by following God. You see that and sticking to that. All right, so let's go ahead and keep reading. Verse 21. So after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preachers to save them that believe. That means something simple, simple. Now, what does that mean? In the in the, the best way I can describe it is in the in the Old Testament when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, and God sent serpents among them to to attack them because of their rebellion, and God had. You know, of course, the people were crying out. Some of them were dying, and all of that. And so God spoke to Moses to put a, a, a snake, one of the serpents, on his rod, on his staff, and to hold the staff up. And as long as the people looked up and acknowledged the staff or the rod, and 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 looked up to the snake uh, on that on that little stick there, uh, they would not die from their injuries. Now I want you to imagine how much faith it would take. You, you you got a whole camp full of snakes, and they're just biting people everywhere, and Moses is telling you to look up. Uh, you know, now, our natural instinct would be to fight the snakes and, the, and to kill as many of them as we can and to keep ourselves from getting bit in the process. But, you know, now, to a natural mind, it's foolish to just look up at a snake and live. But what does that represent in the new covenant? Jesus Christ was put on that tree. He bore our iniquities. He became sin for us. You see that. So what? How is it? How does this tie into this? That God will not share glory. That means God does not go down the road of wisdom with men. He has his own wisdom, and He chooses purposely the foolish things in this world to confound the wise. You see that? What people consider foolish. And by the way, it's a, it's a sign. I think the way you pronounce it is the caduceus or something like that. That that uh, the medical. Where well, you see the you see the stick and the snake wrapped around it, you see it on most hospitals. That's where they get that from. They get that from the Old Testament with Moses. Moses is uh, holding up his the uh, snake around it. In other words, as a as a sign of healing. That's where they get that from. You see that now. You they might not tell you that in school, but you just learned it here. That's where they get that from. All right. So look at what this says, verse twenty-one. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. In other words. That's what keeps people from knowing God because they're smart in their own mind. You see that? They're smart in their own minds. I'm telling you, when you come to God, you need to act like you don't know anything. That's what you need. Just act like you don't know anything. When I came to the Lord, I just said, he called me to preach. I said, God, forget about everything that I've learned so far. Whatever you want me to say, that's what I'm going to say, even when I don't quite understand it. I'll speak what you tell me to speak and teach me what it is that you want me to know. And that's when he began to teach me. But what would have happened if I had said, well, no, my old pastor, he used to preach this, and so this is what I believe. You think God's going to come in and wrestle with what I think I know? You see, no, he'll just let me go on and think I know it. You see? All right, let's go ahead and keep reading. Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek out the wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks. Foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. You see that? But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are wise. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And that's important for you to see that. God would rather choose people that are not noble. In other words, people that are not higher up in society, not meaning that. Now, notice what Paul says, that there are not many wise men out of the flesh, not many mighty. So he's not saying that God don't choose these people, but he's saying that he don't choose many of them. Why? Because very few people who are, quote, unquote, educated with the PhDs and LSDs and all of that, very few of them God can actually talk to. Very few of them. Some years ago, uh, this one brother, in Christ, who was pastoring the church, um, he, he had um, told me that a lot of churches, you know, today don't want pastors without some kind of theology degree. And I said, well, you know, if, if the Lord, if, if it's God's will for me to pass the church, I'll do that, you know, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to get an education. I'm not going to get a, a degree in theology just to say, just to put something down on my resume. You see that huh? my resume is my fruit, as far as I'm concerned. I I, I don't care. I don't care less about putting something down on paper about you know being a superintendent over here and all of this. I, I don't care about that. My resume, my my life is what speaks for me. The fruit of God that lives on the inside of me. That's 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 what you go off of. You see that. And so he he was trying to talk me into it, and then he even said, you know, Brother Bowden, if you'll do that, I'll pay for it. I I'll, I'll pay for your college education. The, you know, for a theology degree, and I was already educated as far as the natural concern, but as far as spiritual things i you know I refuse to go to anybody's college for that my my of course, my thought process is this if i if I have a relationship with God, then what do I need the teaching of man for? You see that if I'm really speaking on god's behalf do i what what <laughs> What do I need to teach it on man for? You see that? And not not saying that I can't receive from man, but as far as me going and sitting in somebody's classroom to learn what, what the Lord, the Holy Spirit Himself can teach me, that's foolishness. You see that? What how, what do what do we do to learn of Jesus Christ? Well, we see that. Let's go just uh, let's go real quick to the eleventh chapter of the book of Matthew. The 11th chapter of the book of Matthew, and and we'll see how we're supposed to learn. The 11th chapter of the book of Matthew, we'll start reading verse 28. It says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, how do we learn of Jesus Christ? By taking his yoke upon ourselves. That's how we learn of him. He didn't say go to – the Lord ain't never sent anybody to college. I'm talking about to learn more about him. You see that? The Lord don't – never the Lord, how many of his apostles did he send to school? He was the school, you see. He was the one that taught them. He was the one that was discipling them. So now let's go read at, at, at the uh, fourth chapter of the book of Acts. The fourth chapter of the book of Acts. Uh and this is right after uh, uh Peter and John had had uh did this miracle and healed the man that was lame and of course the people it caused an uproar because many people got saved and so they the, the uh the Sanhedrin felt um threatened by this of course because a miracle had been done and they knew that there was nothing that they could do about it. And so they were trying to figure out They were trying to figure out what could be, you know, how to deal with these people because they understood apparently these people have power. So let's read the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. We're going to start reading at verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, in other words, they were uneducated. Peter and John, the disciples of Jesus Christ, uneducated. And so the Bible says, you know, you, you could talk to somebody, and they have to really be unlearned and ignorant for you to be able to pick up just after just after one conversation that they're unlearned and ignorant. You see that? In other words, they were not educated. They and they and really wasn't concerned with trying to be in the in the higher ups in society. You see that? So look what that says. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marvelled. Why did they marvel? And they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. In other words, they understood naturally so that these men were ignorant and unlearned. But they marveled because of the boldness that was there. They marveled because the Lord being with these men is what made them what they were, is what made them who they were. In other words, the miracle that took place didn't take place because they studied it in college somewhere. You see that, and and so these people, the Sanhedrin, they marvelled because they understood. Look at what that said. They had been with Jesus, and and that's what. See that that that's what the Lord wants. The, how He wants to operate in our lives. He, you see, people that know you before, and they see what you what all you were in. After Jesus Christ comes into your life and you decrease and he increases, there should be some super added to that natural. You see that? There there should be some changes there that you couldn't have brought about on your own. And people should marvel when they see you later on down the road and what God has done in your life. That's the way it should be. That's what gives God the glory. Now, that is exactly the opposite, and that's what sometimes gets people caught up in Trying to change themselves, trying to get to a certain place first and and God won't let you do it. That's the reason why some of you struggle now because you're trying to do it on your own. All you have to do is crucify your flesh and allow the Lord to live on the inside of you. You think God's going to allow you to change yourself so you can take credit for it? No, God's not concerned with sharing glory with you. You see that He's not concerned at all with sharing glory with you, and so do yourself a favor. Put wrestling against your flesh and just crucify it and allow the Lord to live on the inside of you. That's what quickens you. That is the spirit of God that quickens you. You see that? That's that's how God receives glory. When you just throw up your hands and say, okay, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't change myself. I can't live according to your word like that in my own strength. And that's when God says, okay, you ready to die now? Because as soon as you're willing to crucify your flesh, that's when I can come in and raise you up. And that is what being born again truly is. You see that? When when God comes in on our behalf and lives on the inside of us. Amen. And then he gets the glory. All right. We want to say thank you all for joining us today. We pray that something was said that have blessed you and ministered to you. And we look forward to sharing more of God's word with you. Have a blessed day.